0: Dr. Cassie likes to discuss two different types of problems. If you've cooked up a bunch of different solutions to resolve a single problem, Then you've got yourself a practical problem. We can resolve most practical problems in a variety of ways, Some ways better than others, but a variety of ways nonetheless. If you've cooked up a bunch of different problems for every solution, Well then you've got yourself a thinking problem. We can create most of our thinking problems in a variety of ways, Some ways more frustrating than others, but a variety of ways nonetheless. Let's talk about it. Roll the intro! Hello! Hello, everybody! And welcome to ah, Coffee with Cashy. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. How is that cool? Like, loading waiting screen thing. Mrs. Cashy is a genius. She made that for me. That makes me so happy. Also, I have a 50 milliliter espresso shot. For you Americans out there, that's like an ounce and a half-ish, kind of. (laughs) Actually, it's like an ounce. 1.8 ounces, I think. Actually, stop quoting me. It's been too long. Uh, Today, we are covering so much stuff. It's kind of overwhelming for me. A very exciting topic. Very gnarly topic. Today, we are discussing Dr. Kashi's fix. Why you have a problem for every solution and what you can do about it, even if you've been stuck in a rut forever. (laughs) Oh, this is gnarly, gnarly. Okay. There is a lot of crazy stuff today, like I said. Uh, I hope the title is, is telling in and of itself. So let us hop right in. Oh, repeat the title one more time. Why you have a problem for every solution and what you can do about it, even if you've been stuck in a rut forever. First, we must define the problem or a problem or define problems. In this context, I'm defining a problem as situations of varying difficulties needing contextually relevant solutions. Contextually relevant is useful because you know, if you have a spider and that spider scares you, uh, lighting your house on fire does get rid of the spider, uh, but you know, divine the rest, okay? <laughs> and of the situations of varying difficulties needing contextually relevant solutions, so-called problems, there are two types of problems. There are practical problems, right? There's a bug I wanna get rid of. There's irritating people, I've got a flat tire. There are thinking problems which is feeling guilty during and or after eating, for instance, okay? Now thinking problems and practical problems consistently interact and often feed each other. Example, a person thinking they're a failure, a thinking problem because they goofed up on their diet, practical problem. This thinking, this thinking problem is then proven true by distracting themselves from their thinking problems, failure or guilt, by virtue of creating more practical problems, by distracting via overeating or drinking, a practical problem, okay? And done enough times, this continuously reinforces the truth, the truth that you tell yourself, all right? Of being mentally weak and ultimately a failure. And this situation is translated to hundreds of prominent practical situations, all right? Being laid off and then thinking you're useless, therefore feeling like you're too much of a failure to look for a job, proving it true having a breakup and feeling socially and or romantically defective, therefore adopting behaviors of unfit people that are unfit for relationships, proving it true, getting out of shape and then thinking you're too out of shape to do in shape things, therefore adopting the behaviors of an out of shape person, proving it true. This algorithmic adoption of self-sabotaging behaviors proves a maladaptive thought process. Correct. In other words, At the very real risk of causing discomfort to listeners, uh, this is literally speaking learned victimization, a rationalized victimhood, generating problems sometimes out of thin air when faced with the challenge of creating a solution, (laughs) uh, where a singular issue is made into a massive and sustained issue by integrating counterproductive strategies, sometimes accidentally many times purposefully, usually starts out one and becomes the other. (laughs) Once the state of victimhood is rationalized and learned, rationalized enough times, it becomes learned and then the maladaptive behavioral strategy becomes purposeful. Purposeful can mean multiple things. I know this will hurt me and I'm doing it anyway. This will help me now, even though it hurts me later, selectively forgetting that later eventually becomes now. (laughs) And this actually helps me. And this is a subjective personal definition of help here. All right. So when it comes to solving problems that are generating stress, there are two main approaches based off of the two types of problems. So quick review, we have thinking problems and we have practical problems, and therefore you have resolution creation, focusing on the practical side of problems, behavior, and we have a resolution creation, focusing on the thinking side of problems, cognition. Okay, the old noodle. If you have a flat tire, it's a straightforward practical problem with a behavioral, albeit albeit potentially inconvenient solution. All right. If you're chronically disappointed or feel useless and eternally frustrated, that's when a problem kind of feels like it's impossible to solve. And this is when for good reason, people will cling cling to thinking style solutions. After all, if a problem is impossible to solve, then it only makes sense to try and figure out ways in your head cognitively to deal with it, even if it does end up causing more practical problems down the line, okay? Addressing a cognitive thinking problem is absolutely vital. However, it is is one step toward an overarching solution. Once the thinking is addressed, it paves the path to solving the practical problem, okay? Once the cognitive side is addressed, then you can address the behavioral side. And when when the practical problem is solved, that improves self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is your practical capacity to achieve versus your potential capacity to achieve. Like what you're maximally capable of is different than what you're generally capable of day-to-day, all right? And so this will improve your day-to-day output. You raise the bar, creating a new and better normal for yourself, okay? In other words, you want to use the two solution mechanisms in combination with each other. And this yields a so-called cognitive behavioral solution. And this is the backbone of third-person Dr. Cashy's cognitive enhancement programming. Separate but interwoven solution-making, encompassing the thinking side and the doing side. Knowledge to action, as it were. <clears throat> Man, there's such a little volume of coffee in here after, like, tilted 180 degrees. <laughs> uh, beyond 180 degrees. Okay, it's, it, it's exceedingly simple to create problems. I think we all kind of know this intuitively. It's, it's, it's exceedingly easy to, to create problems, especially when we're presented with solutions. In fact, the more solutions are available, the more problems you can create for them. Creating a problem for every solution. Uh, even though there are an infinite number of problems you can create, you can see them quite conveniently stemming from one place, expectations. Okay, And there are polls of the expectations continuum, which is ridiculously high expectations, too high to be precise or accurate, which means this person or in this situation, a little too emotionally offensive. So focusing on the thought side of things. And then there's ridiculously low expectations, which is too low to improve self-efficacy, too emotionally defensive. He needs a little bit of focus on the action side. So we're gonna go with ridiculously high expectations first. So with ridiculously high expectations, too high to be precise or accurate, too emotionally offensive, go focus a little bit on the cognitive and the thinking side. So I I say that, yes, sure, you may be basing these rules off of of a one-time lucky event, right? You have, you did this one time back then and when the stars aligned and did this amazing thing, and then that is now your standard, (laughs) okay? Uh, So you've shown in some way, shape, or form that whatever this is might be possible. It is accurate, therefore. However, it is impossible to repeat. Rather, it is imprecise, okay? And so precise and accurate expectations, things that help you and things that are repeatable, they generate positive results an overwhelming amount of the time. Once inevitably falling short of ridiculous standards and expectations, this failure to meet the absurd rules that fosters the creation of new problems, thus distracting from the main problem and adding redundant layers of complication to the solution creation process, the problem onion. (laughs) Lots of layers. The end result of skirting the primary problem is that you end up creating problems from it. Like I said, this is what some cognition experts call problems about problems plenty of things to keep you busy while the primary issue keeps wreaking havoc and the problems about your problems become an infinitely long list. So here's Dr. Cassie's antidote to this toxin, this sort of problem, all right? Have the old whiteboard ready here. It's okay for things to suck. It's also okay for it to suck because things suck. The vast suckitude will continue sucking if you choose to ignore it or if you choose to dwell on it. Therefore, it is only when you respect the suck, truly acknowledging its existence that you can focus on changing it. So translated, what, how, and when? Here's how it's translated. What, how, and when? What is really causing the suck? How exactly is the suck upsetting you? And when you're upset, describe those actions and the consequences, okay? So from a ridiculous standard standpoint where they're impossible to meet, you you fail to meet an impossible to meet standard, and then there's an upsetting thought which then leads to another cascade of events. And so really, really identifying what's causing the suck here and exactly how it's upsetting you and describing those consequences it sets, it stacks the cards in your favor to make a legitimate difference the next time you, you need to set or meet an expectation. All right. And the second, the second thing we're covering now that that, that end of the spectrum is covered is ridiculously low expectations where they're too low to improve self-efficacy. Actions are a little bit harder here. So you need to focus on the action parts more, little too emotionally defensive. All right. This is A spice, this is a spicy, gnarly outlook, so brace for impact here, okay? Uh, Oh man, I'm gonna, I'm mentally prepping myself. When feeling ineffectual or down on your luck, it's easy to say things like, well, if I keep my expectations low, then I'll never be disappointed. Uh, And this is 99% right and 100% wrong, as Dr. Kashi says, third person Dr. Kashi out here. (laughs) Yes, you do avoid disappointing results, Indeed, by virtue of your feigned carelessness and your avoidance of disappointing thoughts, when played out, you almost by default become a disappointment as a person. I'll explain. By hiding from disappointing thoughts, you also handicap your ability to produce in a fulfilling way. The thoughts of disappointment because of bad luck, or a plan that went sideways, is replaced by becoming a disappointment in reality. An enzyme-filled water bag, good for expelling poop and hot air. (laughs) In other words, you transition from having disappointing thoughts in your head to becoming a practical, real-life disappointment by virtue of negligence and apathy. Now, it is, I think, almost common law that or, you know, widely believe that achievement comes from confidence and efficacy. If you're super confident and you believe in yourself, you can do anything. And it it makes me like, it turns my stomach when I hear that because it's wrong. Uh, and, And it's a convenient way to avoid responsibility. Because if your confidence and your efficacy scores are low, then your need to achieve goes down. Well, I have no confidence and I'm useless, so I can't do anything. (laughs) If your confidence and efficacy efficacy scores are low, then your need to achieve goes down, and therefore your confidence and and self-efficacy goes down with it. (laughs) It's a feedback loop that only goes one way. Confidence and self-efficacy come from achievement, when a lot of people think achievement comes from confidence and self-efficacy. What I'm trying to say is that every achievement is essentially achieved with a relatively low confidence and efficacy score. There must be a risk to build confidence and self-efficacy. And that is a scientific fact. <laughs> in contrast, if efficacy and confidence in a task is too high, like you'd absolutely know you can do this every time. Well, then relatively speaking, it's a mundane task. It's hardly an achievement. Therefore, it is below the threshold of adapting your confidence and self-efficacy to higher levels. Back to our original premise, there must be risk to improve confidence. If you are overly confident and you achieve the task, well, then it is below the threshold of increasing your confidence levels. So translated here, it's impossible to know if you can do it until after you've done it. (laughs) Once you've done it, you can focus it on doing it again and better That is until you find the next thing that when you approach it feels just a little bit scary, just the right amount of challenge. So here's Dr. Cash's antidote to this action paralysis. Okay. This is adapting to solve, adapting to solve. A accept some level of uncertainty, even if it's a tiny amount, that's okay. Define the sabotaging behaviors. Action planning to replace the sabotaging behavior. All ridiculous options are considered. All of them, every single one. And then predict the outcomes of all of those behaviors. Rank your actions after brainstorming with yourself or your coach, all the potential negatives and all the potential positives. And then rate their perceived usefulness on a zero to 100 scale. And then T, try it, do the do. Measure the result, analyze it by yourself or with your coach or both. If it's a stud, great, keep doing the do. If it's a dud, great. You have a whole list of other options to choose from, right? So this concludes, this concludes today's rant on why you have a problem for every solution and what you can do about it. Even if you've been stuck in a rut forever, <laughs> if you would like some assistance with uh, adapting this model to you, Then Dr. Kashi has your back. Make sure to let him know. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out!